Indian uses many forms to preserve bonds with his past. The folk dance has been a favored form for centuries because it recalls the spirit more than the culture of times past. The sleek, tinseled folk dances performed in the United States reflect the core of the American personality. Rhythm, crisp, measured motion. What happened? Where did Haley go? Where did Haley go? Haley uh, is just taking a brief step back from the podcast. She will be back someday. But in the meantime, Lexi and I are going to carry on her legacy. <laughs> She'll be back. This is horrible. It's horrible. What a way to come back from a hiatus. Just yeah. awkwardly mumbling about our disappearing friend. Our disappearing friend. Haley is taking a leave of absence from Lady History. She will be back soon. In the meantime, it's just us. Enjoy. Wow. It's been so long since we did this. I know. I forgot how to how to be on uh, like how do we how do we lady history? This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, the ugly ladies you miss in history class. Lexi, are you a dancing queen? Yes. And I'm Alana, and I want to dance with somebody. So what's this racist ballet you were in? Yeah, so off air, off off recording, I promised I would tell a story about a racist ballet I was in, and then I remembered that it was actually two separate incidents, and I had separated them in my, I combined them in my brain, but they were, it was over two years. Okay. Um, so when I was like four or five, like, like kindergarten. So what are you like five? I don't know. Preschool or kindergarten. Um, obviously I was obsessed with France and Paris and like, I had a Paris themed bedroom that my parents had like made me as a little surprise. They like sent me to my grandma's house for two weeks and then made my bedroom look like Paris. But by that, I mean, they just like painted some stuff to be, anyway, I had like a Paris themed room. I loved poodles and cats and and tutus and whatever. So of course I wanted to take ballet class. And of course my mom wanted to be the mom of a ballerina. So she was like gung ho for that. (laughs) So um, she signed me up for class. And uh, the first year I was in class, um, for context, dear listeners, I have no rhythm, no musical talent, um, zero musical skills, but man, can I perform my heart out? And that's how I've gotten through 26 years of life. But um, (laughs) You know, at the time when I was like four or five, this first year I was in it, it didn't really matter that I sucked because everyone sucked. And so like, if you're going to go watch the performance at the theater, you know, if you're going to go watch that, the the four or five-year-olds are all going to suck and it's going to be cute. But the thing is, this was probably like the year 2000, right? Since I was like four or five, it was 2000, 2001. And our standards for what was okay, not good and different. And so... (laughs) The first performance that I did, I wore a beautiful pink tutu with a little bluebird on my shoulder. And we did a song from that movie that Disney wants you to forget exists. It's the one about the South. Song of the South? Is that what it's called? I think it's just called Song of the South. Um, The one that the log flume used to be based on, but we can't talk about anymore. You know what I mean? The one that they're yeah. trying to on. So that was... You know, the song itself, it was one that's like, Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder. It's such a... The song itself, not problematic. Obviously, it's the depiction in the movie. Mm-hmm. 
that of like the the figure that is depicted is depicted in a racially problematic way. So that one wasn't so bad, but it gets so much worse. And dear listeners, I'm sure by this point, unless it's your first time listening, uh, you know that um, I was in an Asian interest, but not exclusive sorority in college. I mean, I'm still a member, so I don't know why I say was, but you know, whatever, I joined in college. Um, and when I first told them this story, their their eyes all like bulged out of their heads. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, but it wasn't my fault. So <laughs> this, this, that's, that's the trigger warning that if you're listening to this, your eyes might pop out of your head. Honestly, no matter who you are, your eyes might pop out of your head. This is so much preface for something so stupid. Okay. So the song, my second year of dance when I was six or seven, depending on if I was four or five or whatever. Yeah. Cause it's like the next school year. Anyway, whenever, whatever that was that first grade year, the song was we are Siamese from the King and I later reused in what is that Disney movie where they reuse it? The Aristocats. The Aristocats. Um, so because they're Siamese cats. They're Siamese cats. There, it's kind of cute but still problematic. So if you don't know, uh, the King and I is a musical about a white lady in a big puffy dress who goes and teaches English to the King of Siam to his children. And um, the the musical is very problematic in lots of ways. They fall in love also as part of the story, which is that itself is kind of progressive for the time to depict an interracial relationship. But but the the music and the costume, how mid century America think thought about Asia, so mm-hmm. a lot of othering, a lot of Orientalism, not fun. So the song in particular I'm talking about, you can Google, but. It's got a lot of like bad English on purpose. Um, it uses a lot of words that we wouldn't use anymore. It's not good. It's not, I mean, even like, like Siam is in a place now, right? Like you don't, it, so just, I don't know. It's all, there's a lot into that. Mm-hmm. But we did that song and it gets worse. Um, so the day I was at my grandma's house getting ready for the performance and my put on my costume for the first time, the costume was like a little red dress, but it wasn't actually perfectly like supposed to be an Asian dress. It was like just Asian inspired, which okay. somehow was far worse. I had like little gold cuffs and it was red, but it was like three quarter length sleeve and had a mock neck and I had a little round hat that had to be bobby pinned onto my head. And then the reason I was at my grandma's was my mom wasn't confident enough to do the makeup that the picture that was sent home, which was like a Polaroid picture that you had to take home to have them do your makeup the right way. And it was like a picture of how they wanted your parents to do your makeup. My mom was like, I can't do that. Um, So my grandma's doing my makeup and I'm not seeing it. Right. And then I uh, get out of the, the, the chair off the stool and I look in the mirror and I freaking scream because I thought I looked like real spooky because the required makeup was to like white the face, uh-huh. giant red lipstick and oh my God. giant eyeliner, all on like trying to do a geisha thing. Sure. So there's just all layers of like the, like the dress was like vaguely Chinese. The song was like, I guess, Thai. I don't know what you would even, I get, you know, I, I, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Southeast Asian and sure. then but like not really because it was written by a white guy and then and then the makeup was like fake Japanese stripper makeup like it looked like a stripper pretending to be a geisha do you know what I mean I I can imagine yeah um, 
And then we performed on stage. And I swear to you, even the dance moves were so, so messed up. And this was oh my ballet God. class. This was ballet class. So anyway, I quit after that. I don't think as a child I registered, like I was quitting because it was super problematic. I was quitting because it was super embarrassing and like fringy, which now as an adult, I'm realizing is because of how problematic it was. And like, I had like relatively diverse friends as a young kid. And so I, I was embarrassed Mm-hmm. have done that but I did not understand the racial implications but I have a little picture of it somewhere <laughs> oh my god expose myself um <laughs> maybe I'll put it on the patreon so if you want to see a picture of me in a racially problematic costume that mm. if you promise not to put it out when I run for president but to be fair like I'm literally a child and it was literally like a uniform yeah. dance so like it's not like when politicians you find their college yearbook where they like did blackface for Halloween right like it's not like that yeah, I did around the same age. I did like ballet and tap. And my mom will say that I asked to do ballet and tap. But I also think that maybe a little bit she was looking for somewhere to put me and my sister uh, after preschool. <laughs> so she could keep doing what she needed to do. Even if you're not like, oh, my God, I want to be a dancer. Like there is something to like going and doing a social activity beyond school when you're a little kid that age. Yeah. So, you know. It's good. A little column A, little column B. Yeah. There's pros and cons. It's just a win-win. It's <laughs> stuff for me to do. It's got me and my sister out of my mom's hair. Yeah. Betty. Marie Tallchief is the lady I'm going to be talking about today. Um, Also happens to be a quarter lady. So if you hear this story again at the end of the year, it's during the quarter clip show about the quarter ladies. She's a lady on a quarter. She was born on January 24th, 1925. Uh, Her mother was Scots-Irish and her father was a member of the Osage Nation. Her father was wealthy due to oil royalties he and fellow tribe members received. I was a little skeptical when I first read that, but multiple sources check that out. So, you know, I'm I'm a little shocked because I just assume the government always take, not give. <laughs> so, especially when it comes to Indigenous people. I was going to say, especially when it comes to Indigenous people. <laughs> but apparently his particular family got money because of the oil found on their land and were actually like basically like independently wealthy which is great for them because all right they got the luckiest deal right so by the time marie and her sister were teens um it was apparent that both her and her sister were naturally talented dancers and performers and in order to nurture their skills their mother ruth moved the entire family from oklahoma where they lived on the res- reservation to california where the girls could study under a famous russian ballerina in los angeles marie was often mocked by fellow stu- students in the dance class because they would taunt her with like racial stereotypes um i won't go into detail but some of my sources and further learning do go into detail of the kind of things that were said to her not nice. Lots of stereotypes about Indigenous people. Not nice. Um, both Marie and her sister persevered, and they both became professional dancers. Her sister is not as famous as her, but they did both perform professionally. Eventually, Marie took this took on the stage name Maria Tallchief, 
shortening her two word last name to a single word. So her name, her family name is Tall Space Chief with capital T and capital C. She made it a single word, I think to make it easier for white people. But also, I mean, it does simplify things when you're a performer to have a stage name, right? So, and at the age of 17, Maria moved to New York City to further her career, and she was known for her athleticism and precision on stage. She was the first prima ballerina of the New York City Ballet, making her the first Native American prima ballerina in the world. She was also the first dancer cast as the Sugar Plum Fairy, an iconic role in the now famous Nutcracker Ballet, and that role was kind of like made for her by her weird lover guy who she married. Again, not this is stories about him, so we're not going to go into it, but the role was made for her and now it's like a role that's performed by like every ballet company every Christmas. So that's interesting. And Maria was also the first American to perform at both the Paris Opera Ballet and the Bolshoi, I don't speak Russian, theater in Moscow, which apparently is a very big deal because those like obviously French and Russian ballet are like the big schools of ballet and those are like the epicenters those theaters are like the epicenters of those styles of ballet and so that she performed at the two biggest ballet venues of ballet. After retiring from dancing herself she went on to direct the Chicago Lyric Opera Ballet and she founded the Chicago City Ballet. She married three times in her life and she had two daughters from one of those marriages. Throughout her career, Maria was also encouraged to change her name to something Western sounding as a way to avoid discrimination, but she refused. One of her Russian instructors was like, why don't you just Russianize your last name and make it like Tolchifi? Or I can't do a Russian accent, but like like make it like Tolchif, but but another Tolchevsky or something. Right, like make it a Western word. And she was like, absolutely not. Um, she remained an advocate throughout her life for her people and for her identity. So she was not about to change her name. In 1996, she received a Kennedy Center Honor for Lifetime Achievement. You know, the little rainbow medals that people get at the Kennedy Center. She also received the National Medal of the Arts. Maria Tallchief died on April 11, 2013 due to complications from a broken hip sustained in December of the previous year, which is a really sad way to go if you're a dancer. And yeah, Maria is one of the women who's being honored with an American Women Porter for the year of 2023. Um, so one of two dancers being honored, which I thought is kind of crazy. But yes, so she she quarter lady now. We got a, speaking of like indigenous women who um, are on quarters, every once in a while, I, at work, I like open the drawer and so I count the quarters. And there were until very recently two Sally Ride quarters and a Wilma Mankiller quarter just in the drawer and I was like should my girls should have traded a dollar for the quarters I thought about it and by the time I brought quarters they had been gone because people don't pay as close attention to those things as I do you can buy the whole set from the mint and it's like not that expensive well it should only be like a dollar 25 no I mean it's like in a box and it's like official minted one you know what I mean they're like in great ne- never circulated coins hmm. will be wild um, yeah it's it's more fun I think it's more fun to see them in the wild I, I want to catch and release state. these quarters you know to collect the states do they have a book I had a book to collect the states too or my mom got me one I'm sure they have one for other things like for the ladies yeah because I, I I like to I like to catch them. I like to catch and release them. 
it's a hunt for me, like license plates. For the four, no, the five this year is eighty dollars. Should be a dollar twenty-five. They're five quarters. Right, but it's like it's like silver. It's in set in a little box. It's like the best ones. You can you can get a non-silver one for twenty-three dollars. I would want one that's like circulating. I would want. Would they sell like? Would they sell me just the mounting material, do you think? Or some coin collecting... Some coin collecting website. We'll have that stuff, yeah. You can buy rolls of the individual... Like, you can buy a roll, a $25 roll of the Bessie Coleman or, like, of... That's... Maria Talchi. Like, you can buy a roll. But they're not $25. They're 40 bucks. (laughs) No, <laughs> no, for $40, there better be four rolls of quarters. Yeah, no, it's um a two roll set is $40. No, they're 10, 10, 10. Yeah, a roll of quarters is $10. Yeah. Oh my God. Or you can buy a bag that has a hundred in there and that's $45. Why would you ever need a hundred? <laughs> Just a big old bag of quarters. It would be cute. Like a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, but then like most kids would just like spend the fucking quarter. But yeah. Like, like a cute. I can see context for it. I don't mm-hmm. know. Or if you think that the value is going to go up. That's true. If you think they're going to become collector's items. Which I'm talking about how I want to collect them. So. True. But you want to find them in the wild. I do want to find them in the wild. So this lady's life is kind of all around cuckoo bananas. Um, So strap in. We're going for a wild ride. Mild, very mild trigger warnings for some homophobia, some misogyny, some state violence, anti-Semitism. Just brief suspensions. Just like if you're super sensitive to that kind of stuff, I would maybe skip this one. Um, but in general, briefest mentions. Maud Allen was born August 27th, 1873, making her not only a Virgo like the podcast, but August 27th is also the day we aired the first episode of Lady History in 2020. So although she was born in Toronto, Canada, Maud's family moved to San Francisco when she was very young. And so that is where she spent a lot of her formative years. Um, and as a child, Maud exhibited some amazing talent for, for music, especially singing and piano. And at 21, she moved to Berlin, not knowing any German, to study at a, a very like prestigious German music school that I'm not going to even try to pronounce. If you want to know its name it's in my sources but i'm not gonna um, i can't do it i can't i won't do it you need one of those youtube videos that's like how to pronounce (laughs) i do i do need a i need a youtube video so here's the first absolutely wild twist in mod's life less than two years after she left for germany her brother theo was arrested and charged with murder He was found guilty and sentenced to death, which after three stays of execution finally occurred in early January of 1898. Maud stayed in Europe. This was her brother's request. Her mom was like, come home, your brother's in jail. And her brother was like, stay in Germany and do your music stuff. 
But now he is dead and Maude has no money. And so what is Maude to do? She took a job making corsets for a while and even at one point illustrated a German sex manual, which you can still get on Amazon. <laughs> for not that much money, for like 20 bucks, you can get this <laughs> manual on Amazon. Like a print copy I can purchase? Yeah. Um, her big break kind of came when she was approached to play Salome in a, like a musical dance interpretation of the Oscar Wilde play. It was billed as an interpretation of the Bible or as the Oscar Wilde play, kind of depending on where she was performing. Um, but Maud herself thought of it uh, as, um, quote, my Salome dance is not a reproduction of the dance given before Herod, but is the vision of Salome after it is over, a retrospection. And it's a very kind of like raunchy dance and it stirred some attention, uh, especially because her costume, which you will see on our Instagram, uh, was basically just a beaded curtain as a skirt and a beaded bra because Maude believed that her body was her instrument as a dancer. And so she shouldn't have to like cover it up to perform. Uh, so this play eventually brought her to London in 1907 at the invitation of Edward VII, which in turn led to a six-month production of Salome at the Palace Theatre. It would have gone on longer, but Maude twisted her ankle and needed to stop. I know. It's so sad. When, like, like <laughs> you had said, your story was like, was like when dancers get mobility injuries, that just, ugh. It's yeah. It's the worst. I am going to skip like 10 years here so I can get to the good stuff. Hold tight. All you need to know is that she's touring globally as a dancer and she starred in a handful of silent movies that don't exist anymore. But Maude returned to England in 1916 to, among other things, kind of revive her career as Salome, which brings me to the cult of the clitoris. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. No, you heard me. In 1918, Maude was set to star in an invite-only performance of Vision of Salome. Um, also happening at this time was World War I, and anti-German sentiments abounded. Uh, a far-right is, we would call him far-right today, um, but he was still like very right-leaning. Build. He was a member of parliament, an independent, but the way that independents usually are just more strongly one direction or another. But this man's name was Noel Pemberton Billing, which if I had to pick a name for an early 20th century far right member of parliament, that is the one that I would pick. But he believed that Germany was bad because of Jewish and gay influence, which if 1910s and 1920s Germany could hear you say that, they would wholeheartedly agree and then try to kill all the Jews and the gays. Wouldn't you know? Pemberton Billing owned and operated a far-right newspaper called The Vigilante, which if you change like newspaper in that sentence to like if you change it to a website or even like something like news outlet, if I called it a news outlet called The Vigilante, I could that could be something that happens now. Uh, a January issue of The Vigilante included an article titled The Cult of the Clitoris, in which Pemberton Billing accused Maude of being a lesbian and a German spy and believe that everyone who was invited to this performance of Salome were gays and Jews who wanted to destroy Britain. And gays and Jews who wanted to destroy the crown sounds like my kind of party. So the, the basis of this was that only medical professionals and sexual deviants 
would even imagine what the clitoris was. Uh, and because Maude admitted that she did, she was clearly a lesbian and a spy, obviously. There was also a, like a level of presumption of her guilt because her brother had been convic convicted of murder. So, you know, like like brother, like sister or whatever. Maude sued for defamation, um, but lost because 73 of the 74 men in the room also didn't know what a clitoris was. Um, and the whole the whole trial was really, it wasn't like, like Pemberton Billing was the one who was supposed to be on trial here, but it very much was Maude being on trial for being a lesbian and for being like raunchy and portraying a kind of sexually liberated woman, which mistakes for 1918. And during the trial, Maude kind of denied the accusation of lesbianism, but the facts stand that she never married doesn't really mean anything. But more convincingly, she shared an apartment with her secretary uh, and the apartment was paid for by a wealthy woman who Maude was likely having an affair with as well. But in all likelihood, Maude was probably bisexual because she did also have affairs with men. Happy Pride! Unfortunately, after the trial, Maude kind of faded into obscurity. The invite-only performance of Salome was canceled because the trial kind of deemed it was unfit for public or private performance. Um, but she did continue to dance in other productions and start in a few more movies. Uh, she died in Los Angeles on October 7th, 1956, having prearranged her own funeral. And I severely respect the flair for the dramatic going on there. That's like, I feels like something Mary Shelley would have done is like plan her own funeral. And we all know how I feel about Mary Shelley. There are a handful of copies of Maude's autobiography, My Life and Dancing, available on thrift books right now, interestingly. Um, and so the link to that is in the show notes. I hope they're still there when people go to click on them. Lastly, I want to give a shout out to Katie Charlwood of the Who Did What Now podcast. I originally heard this story on her Instagram, and we love to support other lady podcasters, especially when they are also history-based. So I recommend Katie's episode on the cult of the clitoris if you are interested in learning more. And link will be in the show notes. Find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep sell. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram at post.alex.ism. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we tell the stories of some awesome trans ladies. Trans rights are human rights.